Today's episode is brought to you by the Frankenmuth Convention and Visitors Bureau. Come plan your vacation at frankenmuth.org. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Call of Leadership podcast, where we talk to those in our Michigan community who answered the call of leadership. We'll hear their stories and get their advice so that we can be better leaders for ourselves, our families, and our community. I am your host, Cliff Duvenois, and today uh, we've got the unique privilege of talking to the man who is in charge, basically, of the Zenders of Frankenmuth. Uh, family business. They seem to have their fingers in a lot of different pies. This would be the CEO, Al Zender. Well, how are you? I'm doing great, Cliff. Thanks for being here today and, and coming to Frankenmuth. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, well, if there's one thing I love, it's definitely coming to Frankenmuth. So tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up. I grew up in Frankenmuth. I mean, I, I was born and raised here. I was born and raised in the, in this industry. I, I started at 14 years old and in the, in the kitchen. So I started on the hotline. We call it. It's where we dish all of our hot food. And I worked just about every position within the organization, except I was never a server. When I was coming through the business, um, it was even pre-male server days. So now we have about a 50-50 mix of male and female servers, but never did that. But I worked as a bartender all the positions in the front of the back of the house, even in, in the accounting as I, as I grew and went through college, worked in the accounting function. So I've, I've done just about everything within the, within the restaurant business, yeah. That's awesome. And I'm, I want to make sure that I go back and explore that in, in just a little bit. Where did you go to college? I went to Valparaiso University in uh, Valparaiso, Indiana. It was uh, as far away as I could get with my father's blessing, and it was a great experience. Uh, a small private school in northwest corner of Indiana. Yeah. What did you study when you were there? I actually I was going for a double major. My my major is actually sociology, but I I was just an inch away from from getting a, a another major in business. But I'd been there for four and a half years, and I knew my dad needed help back here, so I came back in 1976, and I've been here ever since. What is it? What attracted you to go into sociology? You know, I I just it, it spoke to me about having to work with people and understanding people, and that's really what what the hospitality industry is all about. You, it's about working with people, and and I found that in in college, I, I took the classes that. I really felt that I was learning something. I loved marketing classes. I loved I loved the the whole social uh, social aspect of of the sociology curriculum that we went through, and and I could really apply it here. I mean, accounting is accounting, and you know, I I, I always felt kind of bored in accounting, and but I was felt more energized when I got into the more I'd say the creative end of business, and and for me, marketing and the sociology courses were really what turned me on at school. Excellent. And you made a comment about how when after about four and a half years of school, you just you decided that you you needed to come back because your father needed to help. And we're talking about Eddie Zender. Eddie Zender. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Eddie Zender uh, was my dad. He he was uh, I would say the other half of that business relationship was Tiny Zender. It was sort of a match made in business heaven. Uh, Tiny was across the road at the Bavarian Inn and my dad, Eddie, uh, ran Zenders and they remained friends. And of course, they were brothers, traveled together and they they taught us a lot about business and you know what's important about business, what's not important about business. And they never argued about a, a dime, and they, they, they built these two businesses to, together, uh, individually, but yet together. And right. uh, there were really three, three prongs to the air, or three uh, legs to the stool of, of Frankenmuth tourism. That was Eddie Zender, Tiny Zender, and Wally Brunner, who, uh, who developed um, Brunner's Christmas Wonderland. Yeah. 
And that's really good. And I, I do, and I, I know I've said this before, but I'm, I want to circle back to that. But before we jump into that, what I would love to do is I, I would really like to take a trip back in time sure. and talk about when Zenders first started. And actually, it wasn't Zenders. No. This was, this was the Exchange. Exchange Hotel. And we trace our roots to uh, 1856. So we go back a long time. That's pre-Civil War days. So yes. in 1856, that's just 11 years after Frankmuth was founded, the Exchange Hotel was built. And it went through a number of, of different owners. And in, in 1908, it was, it was rebuilt. As, it was called the New Exchange Hotel. And if you look at the exterior of our building, that's, that center portion that is in between our north and south wings, still... We're sitting in, in, in part of the uh, original structure as it was in 1908, and it went through a number of owners from 1908 until 1928 when my uh, grandfather purchased it in December of 1928. And of course, like every restaurateur, he first thing he did was remodel the place, you know, right. and he put on a, a, a different front, so the, the big pillars that you'll see on the front. He was a fan of George Washington, and so he... He modeled it after Mount Vernon. And I was going through a Smithsonian magazine oh, some time ago, and there was a story in there about George Washington and Mount Vernon. And I flipped the page, and I almost took my breath away because I'm looking at Mount Vernon. And I'm like, my gosh, the detail that my grandfather put on the front of this building and how it matched Mount Vernon was pretty remarkable. And I, so there had to be some some research. I mean, sure. If you think back in 1928, I don't know how you did the research then. You go to a library or whatever it is. But And we opened then on um, Mother's Day of 1929. And we served 312 people at a dollar a piece on Mother's Day. And we always looked at, at Mother's Day as sort of our Founder's Day. And uh, so it's it took off from there. Uh, probably wasn't a worse time to start a business than uh, 1929. The, the, the I mean, you're on the doorstep of the Depression. Of course, uh, Prohibition wasn't a full swing. And uh, in the latter years of Prohibition, my grandfather and Herman Fisher across the street, which was an operating business called Fisher's Hotel, right. were arrested by federal agents for serving beer to uh, an agent that had come all the way up here from Detroit. And I don't know why they picked Frankenmuth. I don't know why they picked Zenders and, the, and what was then Fisher's. But between my grandfather, William Zender Sr., and Herman Fisher, they received the two largest fines ever levied during Prohibition, which is pretty remarkable when you think. I mean, you had these rum runners in, in Detroit. You had Al Capone in Chicago. But the two largest fines were levied right here in, in Frankenmuth, Michigan, during Prohibition. And uh, not only that, they had to agree to smash their bars. And so federal agents came in and uh, destroyed their bars. My grandfather was fined $5,000, and Herman Fisher was fined $8,000. Which is a lot of money back then. It's a lot of money. And uh, we, we survived that And after, after Prohibition, of course. And you get through the early 1940s, you know, you're going to... Uh, World War II. So my dad and a number of his brothers, they, they went off to war and left my, my grandmother and my grandfather back here to, to run the business. But after the war, it, it really took off. They came back and Detroit was putting America on wheels. Tourism started in, in Michigan. People were traveling. And we really captured that, that traveling guest as they were coming up from Detroit, coming through Frankenmuth. And that was really kind of the genesis and people started to recognize the value of the traveling, uh, of the traveling public. And it, it really, I, I think, dawned on Frankenmuth, and certainly I think between in our family that, boy, there's something here. And as we expanded and as we tried different things, it, it, just, it just seemed to work. 
And uh, I don't know that there was any grand plan, but I think that they were opportunists and entrepreneurial in their spirit, and they took took advantage of this. And you know, at, and then as as things progressed in the, in the 1950s and 60s, and and runners came came online, and and then other little shops along Main Street, and the chamber was always very very supportive, and everybody was in sort of lockstep to. Right. To grab this and seize this opportunity. In 1959, we were still operating as same business, and we felt that there probably should be some differentiation between Zenders and Fishers. And the early architectural change to the Bavarian architecture came in 1959, and that grand opening of what was then renamed the Bavarian Inn, there was a, a huge party, a grand opening, and that was the beginning of the Bavarian Festival. It, which continued well. It was canceled this year because of the pandemic, but sure, yeah, you know, like everything else. Yeah. <clears throat> but then it it uh, just took off, and Bavarian Festival was held every year, and that really grew, and and it was one of Michigan's earliest festivals. You know, now there's every every little town has a has a festival, but the Bavarian Festival was one of the very very early ones, along with the Holland Tulip Festival, and you know that grew again, and, and I think people saw the opportunity. And the impact of festivals, you know, and, right. mm-hmm. and, and gosh, this is really a, an attractor. And uh, so, you know, that that happened. And as as our businesses grew and we really grew during the 19, 1970s, our whole lower level, 1970s and 80s, our whole lo- lower level of, of shops and dining spaces and our, our bakery, our, our called Zender's Marketplace. We sell our tier one products. Uh, our smaller cafe, Z Chef's Cafe, is down there. That expansion all happened in the 80s. In addition to getting into golf, we got into the golf about 19, I think it was 1984 or so. And it's a small, little sleepy nine-hole golf course, Franklin Golf and Country Club. And I didn't know anything about golf. And you know, we didn't know <laughs> we didn't know what, what we were getting into, but we got into golf. And that's really when it, it really started. We didn't start it, but the golf boom in Michigan was starting. It was uh, these championship courses like the Bear and all the courses that surround Gaylord. I mean, it was people were seeing that there's an opportunity here. I mean, there's an opportunity for golf. And that same, a year later, we got into lodging. We bought a small hotel just south of us by Bronner's called, it was then called the Bavarian House uh, Motel. And uh, we ran that for a number of years. We we shut the golf course down for uh, about 18 months. And as we had acquired land to expand to 18 holds, and we took a position that we wanted to really raise the bar. And we opened the fortress in 1992 renamed it the fortress and it's a really a, a gorgeous championship level level golf course and place a high priority and the maintenance of that facility with you know immaculate greens tees and fairways it's a it's a tough course but it's fun it's it's I was out there not too long ago it's gorgeous huh? and uh, about 15 uh, 15 years ago we we took a another look at how do we want to position ourselves in lodging and the great wolf lodge organizations and some of these facilities were we're looking at indoor water parks as a, as, as a draw for lodging, and we re- researched that uh, tirelessly and figured out, gosh, you know, this is something I think that really fits into our market. We we had shifted our marketing a bit to really focus on families. Or, yes. Okay. And and our 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 general theme that developed in about the 1990s was we really wanted to be a four-season family vacation destination. That was sort of the overarching goal. And we looked at the indoor water park industry as something that really fit. And it would also, we anticipated that we could introduce a whole new 
generation of of diners to back to Zender's restaurant by selling packages and and you know getting a whole new generation of, of people introduced to the family style chicken dinner. Right. So it we did that and it it was just a fabulous addition to our our, our facility when we added uh, our first phase and and now I think it's five or six years ago we added the uh, phase two which we call Atrium Park, which is a, a con- completely retractable roof over the the water park and then two years ago we went back to phase one and worked with our our vendor that developed uh, that first park for us we call it splash park mm-hmm. and put a retractable roof over over that as well completely tore the roof off and then uh, put a retractable roof uh, and then it's just really changed the character of of that facility and it, it's a great just a great family venue and it's, it's been very very successful for us and i'm glad to hear you say that one of the things that i was doing during the 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 research for this podcast when i took a look at you know the zenders restaurant and then there's the hotel then you've got splash village and then you have the golf course and the one one of the things that popped up into my mind is that really is a family experience you know very, if you need a place so. to stay you got a hotel to stay at if you're hungry here's a restaurant you can yeah. go to you got splash village for the kids if the adults need to get away you've got a golf course over here so it's interesting to hear you hear, hear you talk about it being a, a destination yeah and it, it's you know families really appreciate that one thing we noticed that we'd stay at a great wolf lot and they're a great facility i mean and, and sure. they're sort of the the granddaddy of them all. I mean, they kind of started the whole thing. But we recognized that just as a parent, I wanted to get out of the place. You know, if, if I'm staying there two or three days, you're, you're kind of at that facility. And we thought, I think we have an opportunity here to introduce people not only to Zenders, but to Frankenmuth. And we have a shuttle, the complimentary shuttle that takes people anywhere that they want to go in town. And the guest has really responded to that. So we have a, a very unique setting in Frankenmuth, sure. a very unique property. We're the only uh, indoor water park hotel that has two individual parks, both with retractable roofs, roofs, which now is a tremendous opportunity for us because when the roofs are open, we are classified as an outdoor facility. So we can, ah, okay. we, can we can be open with, sure, yep. with our roofs retracted and our sidewalls up. And you said something. You're, you said something interesting about the shuttle, and I, I would like to go back and talk about this because, in doing all my interviews around Frankenmuth, the one theme that I'm, I'm re- that I hear that recurs is between, and you mentioned before Eddie, Tiny, and Wally, mm-hmm. was that it wasn't just so much an aspect of I'm going to focus on my business and build my business. It was yeah, I'm going to focus on my business, but I'm going to focus on the community Absolutely. as well. So it wasn't just you know, let's just promote, you know, German, whatever it is for the restaurant. But there's a lot of influences that you can see just driving through Frankenmuth of, you know, the Zender family, of the Bronner's family. And like what you just said, it looks like it, that that has obviously translated down into the generation now that is running, you know, both of these restaurants. How important is that you think about it in terms of not just a business, but as a community? It's, it's critical, and it, it's actually one of our, it's part of our vision. We have this little card that we always carry. It's our, our mission and vision card. And on one side is the mission of our company, and the other side is the vision of our company. And the, the fourth bullet point on, on the vision is leadership and support in our community and industry. I expect it was one of the things that my, my dad taught us is you have to give back. And, and like I say when I talk with our, our new employees in our orientation is, it's just a basic expectation that we were told. I don't care if you are a little league coach. I don't care if you're a member of Rotary, be involved in your church, Boy Scout, Girl Scout leader. Find an avenue to give back to your community. 
or, or to your industry. It was one of the things that my parents taught us, give back. And they were very involved in, in all kinds of, you know, boards and church groups and, you know, that kind of thing. And, sure. and certainly with our chamber and, and that message was also loud and clear that Tiny gave to his family and that Wally Brunner gave to his. And that has transcended the generation. So it's, and now we have some fourth generation family members that they're giving back. And, and it's, it's just a basic expectation. I, and I just think it's part of leadership, you know, is, is you, want to, you want to provide, if you've been success, successful in your business, help organizations to be successful. The, the more successful organizations that we have in our community, the more successful we are. And I, I need a strong chamber. I need a strong school board. I need a strong city council. The better that we all are collectively, the better we're going to be as a community. So Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's just something that is part of our DNA. It is. Yeah. Hey, everyone. When we come back, Al Zender is going to share the best piece of advice his father gave him and also, what is he doing to cultivate leaders in his organization that's going to help set them up for success in the future? But first, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by the Frankenmuth Convention and Visitors Bureau. German architecture, chicken dinners, and the world's largest Christmas store are just the beginning. Frankenmuth is quickly becoming known for so much more than chicken and Christmas. From trendy dining to timeless horse-drawn carriage rides, kayaking to adventure parks, ballparks, water parks, regular parks, sweet Moses, there's a lot to do in one trip to Frankenmuth. Visit the must-sees of Little Bavaria, then grab your crew and find something new waiting to be discovered. Pack a picnic blanket, order takeout from your favorite place, and let your kids delight in exploring while soaking up the little moments in life. Join the generations of families in our hotels during the 175th anniversary season in 2020. The perfect road trip awaits you. Start planning your unforgettable family vacation at frankenmuth.org. Now, back to the show. And that was something with my with my interview with, with Mayor Ackerman was probably one of the, the biggest responsibility any leader has in the community is cultivating other leaders. And of course, leadership is about bringing out the best in people. So I absolutely love it. On the topic of, of leadership, your father, Eddie, ran Zenders of Frankenmuth for a number of years yeah. and then just transitioned over to you. What was that transition like? Well, it was long. <laughs> it usually is. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a long transition, you know, and, you know, as my, as my parents got older, my, my dad had some health issues. And so some of it was natural. Some of it wasn't. I had two sisters uh, that, that were in the business with me, Bill Parlberg, who was in the business. And we, we quickly formed a, you know, a, a pretty solid leadership group. A lot of my time was spent organizing. My dad was just a great entrepreneur, not real good at organizing. <laughs> so there was a lot of pieces to pick up along the way. Sure. And we did a lot of the sort of the nuts and bolts stuff of a business, uh, of organizing like a human resource department, you know, getting our uh, all of our systems and procedures and, and protocols, sort of our standard operating procedures in line. Right. And that took some time. And, and time is a great, it's a great way to transition in. And when you understand that when somebody has put their life into something, it's often it's hard to just sort of step away and you know, say, I'm done and here you go. <clears throat> and uh, that was kind of like my dad. And my mom uh, was very involved in the business as well. She was very supportive. Sadly, they both passed, but just some of the things that they taught us, I think, helped in that transition. And, and we weren't, there was no reason to be pushy. 
with that. I mean, right. I loved my parents being around. So it was, uh, it, it was long, but it was natural. It, it felt natural, just even in retrospect. Sure. What was one piece of advice that your father, <laughs> Eddie, gave you that you still use to this day? Oh, geez. I would say probably the one thing that we use is don't argue over a dollar. And nothing's more important than you being able to go to come over to my house for dinner. And if we had an argument that day, let's let's just clear it up. You know, don't carry it with you. And just there's nothing so important about business that you should argue about it, nor should it come in the way of your family. You know, or your relationship with your family. I always like to say that the, the best thing about a family business is you get to work with your family. The worst thing about a family business is you get to work with your family. So <laughs> you sort of have to keep that in perspective, and we love each other. And sure. you know, if, my, uh, if I had a disagreement over something with one of my sisters and I'm invited over to their house for dinner that night, it's resolved. And so we don't, we don't carry it with us. And I think that that's really helped and you know, just keep the faith, you know, the faith that we gave you and, and the, the moral leadership and do it right. Just, you know, be a good person and all that, you know, corny stuff that seems to really kind of work for us. So yeah. 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 Okay. Works. What I'd like to do is talk, talk about the, the menu. What influences for, for the Zenders restaurant, what influences your decisions about what you're going to put on the menu or the, or the, the offerings that you have? The, the family style chicken dinner is really the the flagship on our on our menu, and we we look all the time. In fact, this morning we had a, we have a uh, every other month we have a culinary committee meeting <clears throat> where we talk about talk about the menu and what our offerings are. And we just have a basic philosophy is, and our, our guest has has told us this is we want to put the best items on our menu, the best products on our menu at a fair price, and so we're always looking at tweaking little things. We'll try monthly specials. We'll try additional add-ons to the family-style chicken dinner. So you have a basic family-style chicken dinner, but if you want to add on some uh, like a Bavarian sausage or Wiener schnitzel, we're always looking at how can we improve those products. We'll, we'll tweak something and then we'll keep tweaking it and we'll improve something and we'll try to improve the improvement and we'll, we're always looking for new products. And our vendors will bring us new products. They'll say, hey, you know, I've got this new, this new item. We'll try, we'll, we try not to be too trendy. We try to be more American fair. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some German items on our, on our menu. We try to appeal to the different dietary requirements vegetarian items, gluten-free items. It seems that every day in our industry, we're dealing with allergies. And so yes. we're very conscious to that. I've got a, my youngest daughter has a nut allergy. So I'm very conscious of that and how we, how we educate our, our staff and how we educate our, our chefs and what procedures do we use that maybe can mitigate some of that. Yes. And, you know, that's very important in our industry. There's a whole slew of products that are coming out as plant-based the impossible burger you've seen there's new oh, yes. plant-based mm-hmm. shrimp that are coming out there's all kinds of stuff we we're very cautious on getting too far ahead of ourselves or over our skis just because it happens to be out there right. we'll try it internally we'll have our employees try it we will talk about it at our culinary committee meetings but i found that the guest just likes a, a good honest well-prepared meal and they're willing to pay a fair price. So it's, it's a constant process. I mean, it's a daily process. And I grew up in the back of the house. I, I love the cooking process. Right. And that's where you'll find me more often than not, uh, like on a busy Saturday night. <clears throat> I just love standing out 
in the kitchen. We have completely revamped our, our uh, vegetable. We try to be more farm-to-table with vegetables and using fresh fresher vegetables, so whole carrots, Brussels sprouts. So today I think we have beets, not one of my favorites, but <laughs> introducing different, where can, where can we maybe make a difference or where can we look different or fresher or right. healthier? And our, our meal tends to be a little starchy, so we're trying to introduce other items that aren't quite so so heavy. And we're, it's, it's just a constant sure. daily daily process. One of the things I was impressed with when before this interview, when I was downstairs in guest services waiting, is uh, somebody called in and spoke to the receptionist down there and said, you know, we've got a party coming in tomorrow night. One of the members of our party has a garlic allergy. So your assistant, without hesitation, said, when you come in, just let your server know, and they'll make sure not to include those spices on there and stuff. And I, I thought, you know, for, for – because I, I understand, you know, being able to produce food at scale for the number of people that you've got coming in. But the, the sheer fact that your restaurant would actually take the time to, to prepare your, you know, your family-style chicken dinner without garlic – for this one guest, I, that that just I, I was very impressed with that. Yeah, you have to be nimble with, with those types of things because I don't know why it is. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to figure it out, but there seems to be an allergy or, or some sensitivity to just about everything, whether it's garlic or certainly nut nut based allergies, lactose intolerant, you know, all kinds of things. So we try to be as as responsive to every guest that we possibly can. I sure, think we've done a pretty fair job, and. If we need to remove an item, we'll, we'll try to do that. We introduced a, a non-fried chicken item over the last uh, about 18 months. So now you can have a, a rotisserie chicken, family style, if that's what sure. you like. It's been very popular. So it's Or grilled chicken. We also have a char grilled chicken, if you like that as well. So constant, constant, Cliff. Always sure. trying something new. <laughs> Got to stay ahead of it. Got to stay ahead of it. Got to try something new. Yep. So Zenders of Frankenmuth, obviously this is a multi-generational family business that is coming up here. And, and I know we talked briefly about the transition from your father, Eddie, to you with your kids now coming up inside of the family business. What are, what are some of the things that, that you're putting in place and that you're doing to basically set them up for success, to keep your family legacy, not only going, but thriving? Yeah. We, we're a little bit more purposeful. We Before this whole COVID-19 thing started, we had a, a pretty regular, about every three-month meeting with a, a small group of the third generation that would just get together and talk about how we're going to focus on succession because we're all getting we're all getting older i mean it's it's going to happen and the worst thing you can do is just you know everybody falls over dead and you know you leave a bunch of, of the next generation that really don't have an idea of where their place is we've tried to with the fourth generation there i have two of my older children in the business and my sister had my one sister has uh two in the business and my uh other sister has one so there's uh five and we have literally just you know sat them down and said where do you feel comfortable where do you feel comfortable in the business and and they all are gravitating to where their comfort zone is you know internally and it it's a it's a marathon it's not a sprint so my daughter is is over at splash village as the general manager my my son is in the back of the house as one of our back of the house managers my Nephew is uh, over at the fortress, you know, running the fortress, uh, along with the, the golf professional over there. My niece is over at, or is in our sales department and does uh, group sales for us. And our, my other nephew is in our human resource department as in an administrative role. So it's, 
we want them to understand the business because once you get into a, a leadership position and maybe you're you're outside of Splash Village and in a different role, maybe in a, in a, in a more of an executive, a higher level executive role, you have to know the operations in this business. You have to know the nuts and bolts. You can't, you can't make decisions, culinary decisions, if you don't know the process, the culinary process about right. how, to, how to cook something or, the, or how to check somebody into a room or, or what's important in terms of uh, the touch points right now over at Splash Village. So we just try to get them as operationally uh, focused right now as possible. So when they get into a, a, as time goes on, they understand what makes a business tick. So it's a, it's a constant conversation and it's comforting when you have family and it's comforting that they're coming into business, but it's also really comforting that they know what they're doing. Sure. Now, do you think going back to something you mentioned before, do you think coming in here and starting as a line cook and just basically doing all the jobs in the house. Do you think that's made you a more effective CEO? Yes, because I, I understand, I understand what it means to what it, what it feels like on a 110 degree day. And you're, you know, you're working over a chicken fryer or, you know, if, if need be, if I'm here on a Saturday night and running low on, on breaded chicken, I know how to do it and I'll do it. And we want our, our managers and certainly our, the family members, you need to get your hand, hands dirty. You need to get your hands dirty. I know my daughter was oh, we got a little short of housekeepers, and she was in the room making beds. Um, Cleaning side by side with them. I mean, you got to do it. And, uh, you know, my, my son in the back of the house is, you know, does the same thing. I mean, if whatever needs to be done needs to be done. Uh, Nick over at the golf course, my, my nephew, was mowing greens, you know, in the spring because not every week we couldn't get the people back or raking, you know, raking bunkers. So... It is important because you, I think it makes you a bit more of an empathetic leader uh, and uh, sympathetic, and it, it's, it's hard work. I mean, it, it's just plain hard work. And so it's, it's important. My, my youngest daughter, she just turned 15. She wants to work in, uh, in back of the house in the bakery. She loves to bake, and so we're, we're trying to make that happen for her as well. So, yeah, I mean, my, my dad always said, he, he never said it, but he knew it, is that there's no, there's no golden road to the top, and you've you know, got to put your time in. Sure. You definitely do. Yeah. This is actually then and going back to, and I know you mentioned uh, Bill Parlborg yeah. before. This is actually something where he came in. He started off as a sure. dishwasher. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah. And now he's president. Yeah. Co-op student, went, went to Franklin High School, came down here and was working co-op on uh, weekdays and weekends all through high school. He was a standout athlete at Franklin High School as well. And when he uh, graduated, my Dad offered to put him through school. He went to Northwood University, where uh, he graduated. And we have a simple contract. It's a handshake, and it's a, you go to four years of school. Just give me four years when you're done. And uh, there's no no obligation. Deal that. (laughs) No obligation after that. And uh, while those four years turned into uh, I don't know. I think he's been here 45 years, and it's just a great success story. But again, he started out in in the back of the house as a dishwasher. Did just about everything in the back of the house. And he he was our when he graduated from college. We we opened up the uh, the lower level, and he was our retail manager for a lot of years. We relocated our bakery into the lower level, and he was really uh, took that project and sure. we traveled all over and you know bought all this bakery equipment of new ovens and all kinds of stuff and he he led the charge there and through his efforts we were named retail bakery of the year and i, I can't remember the year i think it was 19 early 1980s and, and then 
did a bunch of other things, you know, and managerial, worked in accounting for a while, HR for a while, and you just sort of grow up in the business and you see you see leadership ability and it's it's rewarded by with more more opportunity. So he's just a great example of of what what we are all about. He's just like family. I mean, it's it's been a great great ride with Bill. Excellent. Yeah. For our audience, if if they want to if they want to connect with you, if they want to follow you online, uh, where where's the best places for them to go? Right on our website, www.zenders.com. We try to keep it updated as uh, as quickly as possible. We have two people in our social media that deal with it each and every day, and all of our up to date information is right there. So it's it's the best place to see what's happening at Zenders. And for our audience, we'll have those links in the show notes down below. Al, it's been great having you on the podcast. Yeah, it's I've been really fun. enjoyed this conversation. Sure. Hey, circle back anytime. <laughs> hey, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, then subscribe to our email newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll get new episode announcements. You'll get all kinds of great behind the scenes information on upcoming guests. Plus, you'll receive special offers from our guests and partners that you can only get through the email newsletter. Subscribing is quick, easy, and best of all, it is free. Just go to callofleadership.com slash email, type in your email address, and you're done. Once again, that's callofleadership.com slash email. I'll catch you in the next episode.